Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Wednesday, December the 8th, 2021. It is currently 6.12 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in Ovalo, Texas, where it is dark outside, empty inside this room, but hopefully there are people listening on the other side of this microphone, and I hope the people listening on the other side of this microphone, I hope you give me a little bit of freedom here, a little bit of leeway. I mean, even if you decide not to give me that freedom and leeway, I'm obviously going to take it because I'm going to do exactly what I now have planned to do. I've changed my mind in what I'm going to do in this episode, but I hope you'll give me a little freedom and leeway, and I hope that what results from this approach is that it benefits all of us, all right? So we're studying Isaiah 8 this week. That I, Isaiah chapter 8, that's been the study this week. That's the Bible study exercise for this week. I hope you have been reading it. I hope you've been studying it. I hope you've been meditating on it, considering it, working through it. And most importantly, I hope you have been talking about it. And my goal this evening, it, it really was, depending on how this evening was going to go, if we had an in-person service, it was going to be just maybe a full-blown study in Isaiah 8. But and but since that kind of didn't happen, then I thought about, okay, well, I'll just turn on the microphone and we'll just, we'll just jump back into Isaiah chapter 8 and see how far we can make it down into the text because there's some really convicting, challenging stuff in the text. But But as I got ready to turn on the microphone, I stopped and said, nope, I'm not going to do that. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to offer up some some ideas here that really relate to the church, to Christians, to scripture, to spiritual growth, to true discipleship. And then we are going to, well, listen to what someone else had to say about their study of Isaiah chapter 8 this week that I thought was really powerful and really captures what I've wanted the Bible study exercise to turn into. The, the, I'll just state this from the beginning. The, the original, well, this, is, this has really been my vision since the day I became a Christian, is getting people together who love God's word, who want to study it, who want to read it, who wants to talk about it. That, that's, that's always been my passion from from. Early on, I can remember being a teenager trying to get the teenagers to come to the church on a Friday night to, I don't, I don't remember what, Leviticus or whatever, and I, nobody would show up. I couldn't get anywhere. So I can't re- I tell you how many Friday nights or Saturday nights I spent in the sanctuary of First Baptist Church, Tuscola, Texas, by myself. Maybe, maybe that was a sign. Hey, this is how your Christian life is going to work. You're going to end up, you're going to spend a lot of time in churches by yourself because no one else likes you. No one else wants to hang out with you. So you're, other people come to church with other people. You're going to go to church by yourself. Maybe it was a sign and I didn't pay attention because here I am. You know, that was in 1980-whatever. Here it is now, 2021. And where am I at sitting in a church by myself? There, there's got to be, there's got to be some symbolism in it. But I, I, and I, and I, and I, 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 I truly mean this. I cannot explain to you how much discouragement, frustration, 
irritation, at times even contemplating completely abandoning abandoning Christianity completely. I know that sounds like hyperbole, but you can't understand just how how disappointed I became going away. So nobody ever wants to talk about the Bible. Nobody ever wants to read it, study it, nothing. Like I can't get anyone to do anything. Like I, I never could understand it. Like, come on, let's talk about it. Let's read it. Let's study. Let's, can we do something? Like it, it, it's great. It's, it, it's can't maybe, maybe the one good thing is, is when I, I was dating who my wife, I mean, she wasn't my wife at the time, but when I was dating, who, who's now my wife, the one good thing is maybe she was just nice, <laughs> but she was willing to talk about the scripture. We did Bible studies. We listened to the uh, the Bible on cassette. We, I mean, we, we at least there was someone there. But I, but my church experience has always been somewhat just what. Either you, if you got people together to talk about the scriptures, right? If you got people to, together to talk about the scriptures, typically what happened is I would talk about them the wrong way and I would say the wrong thing. So then they were reporting it to the pastor that I now believe this or believe that. And the next thing I was in trouble because you couldn't ask questions. You couldn't challenge doctrine. No, no, no. You just had to be like, okay, this is what they tell me the Bible says. Like, you know, basically like a good Catholic, except it it wasn't the pope sitting in in rome it was the pope sitting uh, or standing behind the pulpit of a you know independent fundamental baptist church i could not disagree with them in any way shape or form so but but so what i could find is in some churches i could find some men who really wanted to study the bible and talk about the bible in many cases though i couldn't question or do anything or i would get myself in trouble um and but usually those were men who were thinking about going into the ministry the average person in the church yeah, whatever. Not, not, not much, not much desire. Don't really care. Don't, not really. Now, I'm not saying that they weren't Christians. I'm not saying that they weren't godly. In many cases, they may have lived even a more godly life than I did. They may have been more godly. They could pray better. They, they maybe loved people better, but I just could not find people who seemed to have a passion for God's word. I'm like, what is the deal? And so whenever I would have to go to the quote unquote church fellowships, I always thought it was a, a, a just a foolish term because fellowship implies we have something in common. But what I would find is that everyone was talking about something that I had nothing in common with. They wanted to talk about, you know, deer hunting. I don't hunt. They wanted to talk about their new truck. I didn't care. They, they wanted to talk. And I'm like, well, we don't have anything in common. So we're not having fellowship. See, if we don't have something in common, we're not having fellowship because fellowship is about having something in common. And what we have in common is scripture, our Christian life, God's word, doctrine, theology, right? Isn't that what we have in common? Our faith in Christ? So then we would be talking about that, but no, it wouldn't be talking about it. But they would all tell me it was great fellowship. It was great fellowship, brother. And I really, it was because I didn't really feel much fellowship going on, but that's that's the way it worked. But I have always had this, it's like, get people to study God's word, get people to study God's word. And I've also found it interesting that a lot of people have expressed in my Christian life. Well, I just feel like the church that we need something more. Like just coming to church and studying God's word. We need something more. We we need that that fellowship. We need that encouragement and that exhortation. And 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 I'd be like, okay, okay. So what what you want though is to get together and what not be about God's word? Or no, I want to get together and study God's word. Okay, that's what we do at church. But no, 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 no. We 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 need to get together and so you want to get together and have Bible studies? 
Like what? What do you want? And and they can never really express it because really what they want is to get together, have food, and talk about whatever, and build relationships. Nothing wrong with that. But why can't it be about let's study God's word? Let's study God's word. And maybe it's just my miss. Maybe I misunderstood what Christianity was about. Maybe I misunderstood that I'm supposed to desire the sincere milk of God's word above everything else, that uh, that God's word, I'm, I'm to desire it more than gold and silver. That Maybe I just misunderstood all of those verses because I thought it told me, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Meditate on God's word day and night. I thought it was about scripture. I really did. I mean, and I'm, I'm, I mean, literally acknowledging, and I'm not being sarcastic, Maybe I just didn't get it. Maybe I was completely foolish. So I've always wanted this, like, get people who want to study God's word and let's dig in. Let's dig in. Because I believe that two very important scriptures come into play here. First one is the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews. Now, I know this has a very specific uh, historical context, and I'm not going to rip it out of its historical context. But we know this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, if you go back and look at everything here, uh, we hold hold fast our profession of faith, verse 23. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Well, I think the way we do this is when we get together to study God's word. Now, the context here is for them not to forsake meeting together as they saw 70 AD approaching and basically the destruction of of Judaism as they knew it. So they needed to really focus on their doctrine, their understanding, their faith. They needed to grow. But when we come together, if we don't come together around God's word, then how are we exhorting? How are we encouraging? Because it's God's word that exhorts. It's God's word that encourages. Everything else is just a bunch of people getting together like the world does to hang out. The world does that all the time. They get together for a backyard barbecue. They get together for a football game. They get together for a UFC fight. They get together for whatever. They, the, the world loves to have get-togethers. We're supposed to get together because of something spiritual, which is around God's word. But I, it's always been like, why can't I get Christians to do this? And not only that, you can't, you really, even if you create a system where people could share what they're studying, like you say, okay, everyone, let's study this And here's a system where you can chat with one another and talk. You can't even get people to talk about it then. It's like, I've never understood, like, why is it so complicated to get people to talk about God's word? Now, in every church, there's always exceptions. There'd be one person here, one person there, one person there. And you could tell that they studied God's word, they had notebooks, they read, they wanted to talk about it. There was always those exceptions, always. In every church, there were, but they were such a small minority. Everybody else would just come to church. Yes, they showed respect to the sermon. Yes, they listened to the sermon. But that was it. I mean, they, they, they didn't really, really have much of a discussion. And, and trying to get them to talk about scripture outside of that is kind of like, whoa, man, what what's the problem? So when I came up with the idea of the Bible study exercise, I wanted to create a, a situation where Christians would get together and we would study a text of scripture. And that's what we do. We dedicate at least a week. Well, we dedicate a period of time to a text of scripture where we work on it. We have curriculum. We study it. And we're supposed to 
talk and discuss and, 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 and I give you the ability to send me your assignments so that we are encouraging, exhorting one another, or as Proverbs says, iron sharpeneth iron, that we in a sense are benefiting one another. That's how we, that's true fellowship. Because we have something in common, God's word. We have something in common, a specific text of scripture. That's true fellowship. We come together, maybe not in a physical sense. I think obviously that's what the church is supposed to do, but that we come together to study God's word. I always envision church that way, that, hey, we're going to be studying this text and that everyone walks through the door knowing what text we're going to study shows up prepared, shows up ready. They've already been talking about it. They've been reading it. They, 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 they spend spending, but, but I, I've always been very naive. So the Bible study exercise is created for that very purpose. So sometimes when I get these emails from people who've showed that they've studied and they've done the work, not only is it encouraging, it demonstrates what I'm actually trying to accomplish here. And it encourages me. It exhorts me and it iron sharpeneth iron. And in many cases, it really makes me consider the text from a different perspective. And I appreciate everyone who participates. And that's what this is really designed for. My, my, I mean, that's, that's, look, there is no spiritual growth without God's word. There's no discipleship without God's word. That it, I know everybody has like all of these other desires needing all of these other things, but let me tell you what we need more. Look, there is no, put it this way. No one can argue that what the church needs more than ever are people studying God's word. The church is biblically, the church is biblically illiterate, theologically illiterate. The church is a mess. Most Christians, our spiritual lives are a mess. And I put me right there with everyone else. The only solution to any of those problems is the living word of God. It's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It does the spiritual surgery that needs to be done on all of us. It is our food. It is our sword. Everything we need is in God's word. So I, the, the lack of passion and hunger and desire, a lack of people willing to participate in the actual study of it has always baffled me. But because I've always pushed to try to fight against that is why we're doing the Bible study exercise. And I, I cannot think of a better thing to be doing at this time of year than to really everyone thinking and meditating and working and talking with one another about Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 8. Such a powerful story. Here's Ahaz, the king of Judah, and he's under serious threat from the king of Syria and the king of Israel. And one of the, re the, the, the reasons we think he's under such a threat is because, well, he's more pro-Assyria. They want him to join their alliance so they can get rid of the Assyrians. He doesn't want to join their alliance. They're willing to come take him out to put a king in his place. He's got to worry about the Assyrians. He's got to worry about them. He, he's, he's like, who do I turn to? And then God sends Isaiah to say, hey, this is not going to happen. I'll give you a sign. But then Ahaz already making up his mind covers up his own will with his 
fake spirituality. I can't tempt God. And God says, okay, well, I'm going to give a sign anyway. And that sign is, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And this is, in a sense, not just to you, Ahaz, it is to the house of David. It is to Judah. And then you've got Isaiah's sons and the meaning of their name. All of this just amazing stuff going on here. You've got the Assyrians, you've got war, you've got threats, you've got alliances between countries, you've got all of this crazy stuff going on. There's danger. There's a, there's the threat of destruction and death and, and captivity and all of these crazy things going on. And in the midst of this, we have God's promise, not only a promise to Ahaz, a promise to Judah, a promise that really exp- goes beyond just that current situation. It's a beautiful, powerful text and a text that's often quoted, obviously, at this time of year because of the prophecy pointing to Jesus and what he had come to do. And we could get into a whole discussion there. There's just so much to talk about. And I want to just dig into the text, but I just want you to see that the goal of these Bible study exercises is to get us to really work together to to study, talk about it, think about it, and to really gain something from the scriptures. That's, that's, I, I can't. I don't know how else to say it. That that should be a massive priority in your life. And if we if we can't come together as Christians around God's word, asking tough questions and digging into the text, it's over. It's done. Just we just close everything down, go home. Because all we become is nothing more than another social club getting together to build human relationships and friendships that ultimately will probably fall apart anyway when someone does something that someone doesn't like. And we're going to, we, the only thing we have in common is God's word. The only thing I have in common with almost anyone, look, I, I have very little common with anybody. All right. Because I have my own likes, my own personality. So, but the one thing that uh, with other Christians is no, I don't have anything in common with their likes, what they did, like they do their pride. Oh, no, what I have in common is God's word. And we've got to get back to that. I, I know this is kind of turning, but it's going to fit to what we're we're doing. All right. So that's what I've wanted. And it's great whenever I get the email. So here's what I want to do. I want to just share with you. I, I know I really wanted to dig into Isaiah 8. And I almost started just going through the whole chapter again. But I just got to read this email to you because this is so powerful. All right. I received this at 8.49 a.m. this morning. It says, Good morning. Just wanted to share some thoughts on the current study. Now, I'm not going to give name or anything in, in there, but uh, be, this, is, this is just some really, just shows you how it's supposed to work, that that encouragement, that exhortation happens when we s- talk to one another about God's word, all right? Here we go. With the most recent assignment with regards to verse eight, all right? Now, Isaiah eight, let me go back here to Isaiah Chapter 8, verse 8. All right, go back to Isaiah. Let me just read a little bit here. I'll just read down, get us the context. Now, I've got to stop myself from preaching it, but here we go. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great roll and write it with a man's pen concerning Mehar Shal Hashbaz. And I took unto me faithful witnesses to record Uriah to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jer- Jerbekiah. All right. Now we talked about all of this in part one. We, we spent plenty of time looking and studying all of these things. So I can't go back through everything. Uh, then he, he went un, 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 unto the prophetess and she conceived and bare a son. 
Then said the Lord to me, call his name Mehar Shal Hashbaz. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. Here's once again, another promise of how this is all going to take place, how this, this entire situation is going to be taken care of, how God is going to preserve and, and, and the people of Judah, a remnant will be preserved, will be saved, will return, all the different things that we could talk about, everything happening there. Then verse five, the Lord spake unto me again, saying, for as much as this people refuses the waters of Shaloah, that go softly and rejoice and resin and Ramalia's son. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of this river strong and many, even the king of Assyria and all his glory, and he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks. And this, the Assyrians are, are coming. They, 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 the, the one, the, the salvation Ahaz wants to turn to, the Assyrians are, also, are going to be, well, not the salvation he should be looking to. He should be looking to the salvation God provided. He should be looking to what Christ, what God promised, and ultimately what all of Judah should be looking to is the coming Messiah, Emmanuel, God with them, or God with us, right? Uh, verse eight, and he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck and to the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breath of thy land. O Emmanuel. Right. A lot going on in that verse. That was one of the assignments I gave people to work on. So let's go back now to the email that gets us caught up on the, in the text. And you can go back and listen to everything we've already discussed. All right, here we go. So good morning. Just wanted to share some thoughts on the current study. With the most recent assignment with regard to verse 8, to me, this is speaking of the land of the Messiah, referring back to 714. So when it talks about, oh, Emmanuel there in verse 8, it's referring to the land. The land of Emmanuel, the land belongs to him. It's the land that belongs to the Messiah. It's the land that belongs to God, all right? And you, you can, we, we, we will have greater discussions about this, but all right, just this is what they saw and the conclusions they were coming to. Um, this is a land that this land will be nearly overcome by, a, but a remnant shall remain because that is the Lord's will. A remnant will remain. In other words, Assyria is going to come into the land. There's going to be destruction. People are going to be carried off. But a remnant will remain, which goes back to the, the meaning of the name of the first child from that uh, of Isaiah we find in Isaiah chapter 7. All right? So um, that, that all fits perfectly. Everything makes perfect sense here. And, and obviously good observations here. That even the people coming together, creating armies, all of this will not matter because it only matters what the Lord wants. We can make all the plans we want, but if we don't include him, those efforts are futile. So while Assyria will overcome most of the area, Jerusalem will remain because that is his plan. And the mighty Euphrates, Assyria, will not alter his plan. That mighty river that's going to flow over its banks and almost completely cover uh, Judah, it's not, it's not going to matter. It will, because a remnant will remain. God's plan will still be victorious. God's plan, his plan cannot be thwarted by these efforts of all these people. God will keep his promise. God will do as he said. One commentary mentioned that the reference to verse eight, reaching even to the neck 
as relating to Judah as the head of the 12 tribes and the only tribe that would remain. I found this interesting. Most others just mentioned the near drowning, meaning and not uh, meaning and not Judah as the head of the tribes, or at least the ones I read, which is interesting. When in, in Isaiah chapter eight, I'll just read it again. Um, and she'll pass through Judah. This is verse eight. This is the Assyrians. They're passing over through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breath. Uh, of thy land, O Emmanuel. So he's going to come over. He's going to get the neck, but he's not going to get to the head because Judah is, in a sense, the head of the 12 tribes but and will remain. You could do that. Or the fact that they will not ultimately be drowned or destroyed because God will keep his promise, even though maybe only a remnant will remain. You could go a lot of different directions there. They did a good job pointing all of that out. When I read this chapter and the commentaries, I see a people threatened from all sides, choosing what seems greater over what the Lord is offering them. And while I want to be self-righteous and pretend I pretend I wouldn't behave the same way, it's hard not to see their fear and find it relatable. All right now, this, I, this is so good. They're taking this historical situation and can see what the people are doing, right? Ahaz... In a sense, if we go back to uh, Isaiah chapter 8, this is very important because we talked about this. Verse 6, for as much as this people refuseth the waters of Shiloh, uh, that go softly. In other words, they, they, so we have the people, we'll start with Ahaz. In a sense, Ahaz, he's been given, hey, God is going to give you a sign and God's going to take care of this. Now, the sign is a virgin's going to have a child and his name is going to be called Emmanuel. He's also got uh, Isaiah's sons there, but all of that seems insignificant. All of that may seem confusing. He may not get it. He may not see the, the significance of these names. He may not get it. He sees fe- he sees danger. He, he may be filled with fear. He sees the possible destruction of not only his kingdom, maybe the end of his life. Right. So he, he, he's like, what do I do? So he looks to the mighty waters of the Assyrians. They'll take care of him, which ultimately are going to be the very thing that floods over and brings destruction. But he refuses the, the still waters, the, the, the small waters of Shaloa. That, that seems insignificant. It seems small. That which comes from God, it may seem insignificant. It may seem small, but he refuses that. And the people, in a sense, refuse that. And the idea that they re, uh, rejoice, there's lots of different ways of looking at this, that the people refuse the waters of Shiloh that go softly and rejoice and resin and Ramalia's son. Okay, what, what, what is going on here? I'm going to leave the email here and do a little bit, just a little bit of teaching here because I think this is important, all right? When we consider what's going on here, let's remember, resin is the king of Syria, Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel. So the people refuse the, the quiet waters of Shaloa. They, 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 that which would flow from God, which may seem small, which may seem insignificant, a child. Which, doesn't matter if it's the child of Isaiah or the child who will be called Emmanuel, born of a virgin. All of that may seem small, may seem insignificant because these promises in many cases are related to when these child children are going to be small, right? When they're going to, you know, 
just start understanding or refusing evil or just being able to say mommy and daddy if you go back into Isaiah chapter 8. It seems small. It seems insignificant. The people are going to refuse that, but they're going to rejoice. And what, resin and Pekka? What's going on here? Let's, let's listen to a couple of translations. You'll see this. Because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shaloa and rejoices over resin and the son of Ramalia. And what does it mean rejoices over them? Is it, is it that the people are like, you know what, Ahaz? We're sick of you. We are sick of you. We don't care what God, we don't care about what God promises. We don't look for God for the solution. You know what we want? We want these two kings to come in and get rid of you, Ahaz. We're done. We're sick of you. We're tired of you. We, maybe that they, they don't even want to look to God. They're looking for something to save them in a sense from Ahaz. They want Ahaz gone. But they're just as guilty as Ahaz as refusing that which comes from God. They don't want what God has to offer. They have an agenda. They want Ahaz removed. So they're willing to let these nations come in and, and get rid of Ahaz. Is that what they're rejoicing? Is that what they're rejoicing over? Another uh, translation. Uh, my care for the people of Judah is like the gently, gentle flowing waters of Shiloh. But they have rejected it. They're rejoicing over what will happen to King Reza and King Pekka. Now, this one says what the people are rejoicing over is like, okay, we don't, we don't care what, what God's going to do. We, we just want these two kings to be destroyed. We want them to be wiped out. If it's by the Assyrians, great. Then Ahaz, work with the Assyrians, get rid of them. In either case, the people and the king are looking to salvations, solutions, that are not flowing from God because God's salvation, God's solution seems so insignificant. We have really stressed that this week, right? This prophecy is about what are you going to look to, to what God offers in his salvation or for what you can come up with. And the church has been so preoccupied over the past few years of looking for every solution that they think is important, whether it's an election, whether it's a president, whether it's Congress, whether it's yelling at people at a school board meeting, whatever, they're looking for everything that seems big, powerful, and that will work. But we reject that little, that small thing that flows from God. I don't know, like God's word, prayer, fasting. They, they, were, they were refusing what the, the small, silent, still river or waters that flowed from shallow. And they were looking for the big, powerful the Assyrians, or they were looking for the destruction of these kings, or they were looking for these kings to get rid of Ahaz. Whatever the case may be, everyone in the story was doing one thing. They were facing difficult circumstances, danger, death, captivity, destruction, and they all wanted a solution that wasn't God's solution. That, and that constantly was Israel constantly was Judah refusing God, refusing what God offered over and over and over, refusing, 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 turning their back, turning their back, looking for their own way, their own solution, doing what was right in their own eyes. This was Israel, Judah's problem throughout the entire Old Testament. And if you heard the last live broadcast, now what makes this the prophecy of the, of the babe born of a virgin who will be called Emmanuel, so powerful when you get to Matthew one twenty one, and it says that this baby will save his people from their sins. If that's referring to Israel, Judah, that, well, 
He's coming to save them from their sins and the consequences of their sin, which had been judgment and captivity. And, and basically that, that Jesus ultimately will bring about the salvation of his people, Israel, which then goes to Romans 11, and we can get in all kinds of questions of eschatology. But it really makes that prophecy make a lot of sense. I could read from other translations, but there's a lot of a lot of discussion of exactly what they are rejoicing over, exactly which people this is, but no matter who it is, they're all guilty of the same thing. Here's God's solution. Nah, don't want that. We want something bigger. We want something powerful. We want a river, not this little small stream flowing from Jerusalem, Shiloh. That, that seems insignificant. Well, that's God's way. And God's way may seem insignificant and may seem small. It may seem insignificant that on Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation of God in the flesh as a little baby. That seems foolish and insignificant, but that little baby is where salvation is found. It may seem foolish that on, on if we're if we're follow on quote unquote Good Friday, we remember the crucifixion of of God in the flesh, His death. Yeah, in that death, He saves us. Seems insignificant. Seems foolish. It's all. That's how God typically works. Is not in a way that may that would probably in many cases make us think that that's the right way. All right now. This is where the, this email gets very personal and very powerful. All right, so I'm going to go back and read that paragraph again. When I read this chapter and the commentaries, I see a people threatened from all sides, choosing what seems greater over what the Lord is offering them. And while I want to be self-righteous and pretend I wouldn't behave the same way, it's hard not to see their fear and find it relatable. Yeah, we, it's, we, I think we could all relate that if we're in their situations, I mean, I know it's relatable because I see Christians do it today. We we don't want scripture, prayer, evangelism. We want a political victory. So so we and that's not even facing. We, that's just facing a culture that we don't like. That's not even about facing danger. And when we face danger, we we make all kinds of crazy ideas. This is where it gets personal. There was a school shooting last week, and and I won't. I'm not going to give too much details here because I don't. I don't want to. You know, it, it come anywhere close to anyone identifying the person. But not far from where they live. All right. I won't give you the uh, time frame or the distance or anything. Um, that resulted in many schools in the area being locked down and and closures for safety. The person writing me, her daughter's school was impacted as well. And when I received a call about the lockdown. I found a quiet place at work and immediately started praying for the safety for my children. I can't even imagine that. You get a, you get a phone call, you get a notification that your child's school has just been placed in lockdown. And there's been a shooting. That's whether it's the school where the shooting is currently taking place or a school close by, you don't know what's going on. You just hear shooting my child, school lockdown. That's all you can hear at that moment. That's all you can probably, I can't even con- contemplate what that's like. That's got to be full of fear, concern, dread, anxiety. Those may not the words they use, but that's the words I would use because they may handle it far better. But I think most of us would be honest, even though we would say, well, I'm not supposed to fear. I know we can give the church answer, but the reality is we would be filled with a lot of fear and dread at that moment. While praying, I stopped and thought, what would I do 
Or how would I respond if something tragic did happen to one of their children? Would I still praise the Lord in my grief? Would I be grateful that he is my exceeding great reward if I lost someone so dear to me? Fortunately, the threats were not credible. I hugged my girls more tightly that night and we prayed Thanksgiving prayers. But what if it hadn't ended that way? Where would I turn if the ending was different? Not to say they haven't encountered bad, not to say that I haven't encountered bad in my life before, but never to the extent of losing a child. And I wonder how I would respond. Now, those are some deep questions. How, how do we respond when everything goes horribly bad? You say, well, God gave a, God has promises. Yeah, he may have promises, but those promises doesn't mean he's always going to fix all of your problems and make everything go away. Sometimes we think as Christians, well, God's going to protect and keep everything. It doesn't always work out that way. So how do we respond when everything goes horribly wrong and there's death, there's sadness, there's destruction, there's despair, there seems to be the end of everything. There's a darkness comes sweeping over you. What do you do? What do you do? Now, sometimes we may look for all kinds of solutions or ideas, but the only thing we can really do is look for the soft, still waters that flow from shallow or shaloa to be more specific. The, the waters that flow from God, his word, his, his peace, which may not even can be seen or really understood may not even understand his promises. I mean, that's what we've been trying to figure out. How does some of these promises relate to these people? We don't even know how it all relates. We know ultimately it relates to God's promises to Judah, to the house of David, that God is going to keep his promises. He's going to keep his promises to Israel. Now, unless we we, we believe in a different kind of eschatology, which we just discussed in the last live broadcast, but that doesn't always mean it's going to work out the way we want. Do we still trust him? Do we still look to him Or do we start coming up with all our own ideas, our own plans, our own agendas, our own solutions? Or do we look to God? That's that's a powerful statement there. This person goes on to say, this just resonated with me this week. The people were living in war and devastation, impending doom lurking at every border. Again, I'd love to say I'd respond with faith, but given the circumstances they were in, I can't say I would behave this I wouldn't behave the same. I hope that that I hope that I would turn to the Lord and not to the world, but I don't think it's always as easy as we want to make it seem. Just my thoughts. I know it's not in-depth research here though I have uh, pages of notes, but I'm trying to live with the text. That's where it took me. That is what Bible study is all about. Living in the text and being honest when we don't either. We know we would never fulfill it. We know we would never do it. We just have a hard time with it. I've said so many times, when I read the book of Job, I'm just like, I don't get, I don't, I can't, I can't even understand it. I can't even wrap my mind around it. How that, how the book ends, how the book, you're like, yeah, well, well, look, God restored all of these things, but he didn't get the original family he lost back. Like, unless you're going to say they were resurrected, that doesn't seem to be the indication. So 
th- there was death and destruction and he never even got answers or an explanation. That seems horrific. But do we look to God when it doesn't seem to make sense? That sometimes the little small waters of Shaloa don't seem to make sense. Like, hey, Lord, I don't know if you realize this, but right now, I don't need a little stream. I need a raging ocean. I need a, I need a storm. I don't need a, a, a few drops of water from a, from a stream. I need the ocean to just come flying over and resolving this situation. Uh, but sometimes it's like, nope, here's your sign. And you're like, but I don't even understand the sign and I don't even know what that means. And what that, that's sometimes the way it works. One of the hardest things to understand is that Christianity is not about God giving you everything you want so that everything is perfect in your life. I, I have some notes here. Last night, I've been talking, uh, we, we did a little thing about the Glorify app. And I've, I've been doing the devotionals that they offer. And one, last night, one just irritated me to no end because they, they did the story of Simeon who's been waiting to see uh, Jesus. And finally, he, he, when Jesus is brought to the temple, he gets to see Jesus. Like, finally, I basically have seen salvation. I, I basically have seen this. And the devotional basically said, see, when you're waiting for that promotion, when you're waiting for that, you know, all the, when you're waiting for all that, you just wait and God will ultimately do it. And I wanted to, and I was just screaming at the devotional. I'm like, what are you talking about? God doesn't guarantee here. This is a, he made a specific promise to that person. All of these things that a job promotion or this or that, or those things are not promised in scripture. So I can wait all day for the, the key of faith is trusting in God when it doesn't go your way, when your child is not healed, when a horrible tragedy occurs, trusting in God when it make, when it is dark, when it makes no sense. Sometimes we want to abandon God and go, no, I'm going to go find a different solution. I'm going to go find the Assyrians. Okay. I don't know. They're, I got two kings coming at me to kill me. I'm going to go find the Assyrians. I don't need your sign, Lord, or I don't, I don't want your sign. I'm going to go find some, I'm going to go find a solution. I don't need a sign. I need a solution. I don't need a promise. I need action. That's, that's what rises up in me. What do you do when things go, don't go the way you want them to go? Do you still trust God? Do you trust God? when you're 70 years in Babylonian captivity. You say, well, a remnant will return. Yeah, you may not be a part of that remnant or your family may not be a part of that remnant. Do you trust God when you're walking around in the wilderness watching an entire generation die off? Knowing that you're going to be one of them that dies. Do you continue to trust God? They go on to say, as always, thank you for your time and study. I really enjoy the assignment. Sometimes I can struggle with how to move forward with a passage and the assignments help bring new ideas for me. So thank you for them. Well, that's good. That's the Bible study exercise. I give the assignments to try to give you direction in what to do. And then we talk about it. But Isaiah 8, there's real powerful lessons in all of this. There's real powerful lessons in all of this and in Isaiah 7. And I just want you to think about them 
and meditate on them. I know we didn't really actually study the text right now, but I just wanted to share that. that that's Bible study. See, someone, they're, they're, they've been living with it, they share. Then I can take what they've said and I contemplate it. That's sharing. That's, that's how it's supposed to work. That's, and that is critical for your, your, your spiritual growth is to be able to, to study that way and talk about it and think about it and struggle with it and live in it and not be afraid of asking tough questions and not being afraid of saying, man, I don't really know about this and I don't, I'm having a hard time with it. That's, that's the way it's supposed to work. And so many times we either don't make time for scripture or we just don't care or we don't live in it. And we need to learn to live in it. And this email is a challenge for us to truly live in Isaiah 8 the rest of this week. To truly, and wherever we go next week, and whatever passages after that, and whatever passages after that, and whatever passages after that, as we go into 2022, and we're going to stay committed to the Bible study exercises. We're going to keep working on them. But I wanted to take the time out of the actual study of the text to, to share. I could give you some, um, some assignments here. Um, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I just want you to just really think about your approach to scripture. Do you really live in it? Do you desire it? Do you, do you have others that you talk to about to encourage, to exhort? Iron sharpeneth iron. And, and I really want you to just think about how the Bible study exercise here, how we can make that even better, how we can even accomplish more with that. Because I think I I cannot stress enough. I think it's needed more than ever. And I think in 2022, there's so many issues going on in the culture. There's going to be a midterm election. It's just going to be more chaos, more conspiracy theories, more craziness within the church, more political hijacking of the church, more of, of Christians looking to, in a sense, the mighty river of the Assyrians for solutions. And we need to find, to get as many Christians together to go, hey, right here, this is the, this is the still, quiet, small stream of Shaloa. Let's spend some time right here drinking from it. And no, life may not make any sense. No, there may be pain. Yes, there could be tragedy. There, there could be tragedy in any one of our lives coming in, in the next year. There could be death. There could be disease. There could be horrible things. But we, we, we have to continue to trust God through it. So I, 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 just, wanted, I just wanted to share that and, and hopefully, and, 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 and let me make it very clear. I, I've received a lot of emails in our study in Isaiah 7 and 8. And I, I wanted to make time for all of them because everyone's done a good job. Timelines and, and outlines and so many good things. I, I mean, of all the Bible study exercises, we'll put it this way. I've been turning on a microphone talking to people for a very, 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 very long time. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of episodes. And I've tried a lot of different things. Sometimes my own foolishness getting distracted and focusing on the wrong thing instead of the right thing. But of all the things we've tried to do with Bible study exercises, the Isaiah 7 and 8 has probably been the most successful that we've ever had, which is a good sign. And hopefully we can build on that. Because right there is a good example of why we do this. And hopefully this text has done a lot for you and challenged you as well. Because it's challenged me. Because I'm a lot like Ahaz. I'm a lot like the people of Judah. 
So I think we can all probably say, you know, we cover up our own our own will with fake spirituality, right? I mean, that's what Ahaz did. Oh no, I don't want to tempt the Lord. Come on, you want you want the uh, Assyrians? Give me a break. And you know that, uh, and that we don't look to God's salvation. We look to everything else other than God's salvation. And then when you get into Isaiah eight, what is really interesting? Um, th- there's some other things that people turn to. There's other things that people look to. So, all right, I'll stop right there. Um, hopefully that would be beneficial and uh, I'll stop right there. It is now seven o'clock. So everyone have a great night. Um, I'm going to head home and uh, probably I'll probably be back tomorrow uh, to do something. Well, we've always got things to cover. So um, there you go. Uh, email me newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, and to anyone else listening uh, live, if you're saying thank you, because uh, some of the messages are showing up, some are disappearing. Uh, thank you and uh, for your participation and everyone is welcome and hopefully we can continue to build on this and and accomplish things just like that with the Bible study exercise because that's what we're uh, trying to do no matter how many mistakes I may make. That's what we're attempting to do. All right, everyone have a great evening. God bless.